talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Friday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. I'm super excited for this. I think we all are. This is going to be difficult and interesting, and I don't have a handle on it, and that makes for a good podcast. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We are doing a Ryan Day era offensive draft. We're going to do defense on a future podcast, but the goal here is to draft a full 11-man offense from players of the Ryan Day four-year head coach era. 11 players, quarterback, running back, tight end, three receivers, two tackles, two guards in the center. You can do two tight ends and two receivers if you want to. But the wrinkle is that everybody is allowed to draft, actually has to draft, one Urban Meyer player and one Jim Trestle player in this 11-man team. So everybody's team will wind up as nine day era players with one Meyer and one Trestle. And the reason we are doing that is because some of these positions don't actually have enough starters across the board in the Ryan Day era to like fill out everything. But there's going to be some great strategy here between need and trying to grab excellent players at certain spots. And Nathan, I personally have a list I have groups. I don't have a strategy because I think maybe more than any other draft we've ever done, this really depends on what everybody else does and how it affects you because those bonus picks, required bonus picks in the Meyer and Trestle era, the way they are used will have a great effect on everybody else's team at multiple positions, I think. Yeah, exactly. Like I have rankings at each position. I have an overall ranking. I think those probably almost conflict with each other at some point and the whole thing gets thrown off in certain categories depending on whether one of you takes somebody from those other eras at, at that position it's i think this is going to be fun i hope we come out of this with uh, a a sufficient just anger towards each other just a just a sufficient <laughs> oh i don't i have zero worries about whether that will happen or not um we just did a similar thing on the College Football Survivor Show. Shahan J. Haraja and I did a draft of the ultimate offenses of the college football playoff era. So we drafted two offenses in that from all nine years of the college football playoff era. And and Stephen, there's a lot of things that came up there. Shahan had the first pick in that one and made an unusual pick that was based on scarcity, not necessarily the best player available. And I think, Stephen, that's going to work in here because – There are some positions where it's like, well, is this guy the best player of the Ryan Day era? No, but he might be significantly better than the other options there, especially a guy might be significantly better than what the fifth and sixth options might be at a certain position. And I think that'll factor in. I think that'll be interesting when it comes down to having to pick your Urban Meyer and your Jim Trestle guy, especially because there's the guys that probably everybody can name off of the top of their head. But if those guys start coming off the board and now it's like, well, now I have to take a guard from the trestle era. And I don't know if I want to do that. You know, it, it, it kind of works both ways where you remember the skill positions a little bit easier from 20 years ago than you do maybe the in the trenches guy. So I am interested in how that kind of plays itself out as well. So we will have the texters vote on this then who built the best team. So the goal here is to build a team that you would then take into a season and try to win. So it's not a parking lot game. It's say this is a, a team we are trying to win a national championship within a college football season. And you get the best version of this player at Ohio State. So we discussed this. Don't think about 
Joe Burrow at LSU. Don't think about Jamison Williams at Alabama. Those do not factor in here. It's what you did as a Buckeye. But for instance, if you take, you know, J.K. Dobbins, you get the 2019 best you ever saw version of J.K. Dobbins. You don't get the 2018 sharing time with Mike Weber, J.K. Dobbins. You get the best of everybody they ever were, and nobody can be picked twice. So there are some players here who played multiple positions. If they get drafted at one position, they're off the board at the other position because there's only one of those people existing in the world. And that's how we're going to do it. We are going to do a modified snake draft. We did this before the pod. Nathan is going to have the first pick. I'm going to have the second pick. Steven, third. Steven then will also pick fourth. I'll pick fifth. Nathan will pick sixth. And then after that, we'll just go in order. So it'll be Nathan, seven, me, eight, Steven, nine. Nathan, 10, me, 11, Steven, 12. And we'll go all the way through until we make 33 picks, 11 players on each offensive team. The idea, I guess, right? I mean, we want Texters to vote for our teams. That's not the main goal here. But so, you know, I mean... Skill guys are going to matter, but also skill guys matter to winning on the football field, too. So I have no idea. I honestly have no idea who the number one pick is going to be. And so I know I have not decided who my number one pick is going to be because it's going to depend a little bit on who Nathan makes the overall number one pick. Because scarcity in some positions is going to become a factor very quickly. We are, we're treading water here a little bit. Like you usually like to dive in. We want you guys to think about this. I think you could do this with your friends. Like, I don't know. Do people sit around and do this? Like, hey, you guys, you guys want to come over and do a day era draft? One Trestle bonus, one Meyer bonus? Like, yeah, yeah, I'll come over. Want to get some nachos? Yeah, let's do that. I don't know. I think this is going to be fun. So think in your head what you might do before we start to do it. And then at the end of this, you can evaluate whether we did a good job or not. Nathan Baird, we're starting the clock to you with the number one pick in the Ryan Day era offensive draft. So I'm actually making this decision on the fly because as I came into this, I was thinking for some reason, I hadn't really thought of what I would do. Number one, overall very much. I was thinking more about crafty things to do later. And so this is one of those things where I, I I think there's a strategic move to make here based on that, that urban Meyer, Jim Trestle wrinkle. And I'm probably outthinking myself, but when I look down my rankings, I think that combination, I think there's a pick to make here. So I'm going to take Troy Smith. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm. I don't think that's a bad pick. Now, one of the things here, Stephen, is that one of the reasons that I said we should do this wrinkle is because Ryan Day's only had two, two starting quarterbacks. So when you say, hey, we're doing a day era draft, it's like, all right, well, one of us gets Justin, one of us gets CJ, and then somebody else gets like the Kyle McCord start. And it's like, okay, well, that guy's going to lose. So you've got to do something to open this up. And then once you open it up, you open it up to JT Barrett, you open it up to Braxton Miller, you open it up to Terrell Pryor, and you open it up to Ohio State's last Heisman Trophy winner. This for that reason, this is a good pick, but it also is somewhat limiting because now your trestle pick is off the board. Steven, what do you think of Troy Smith going number one here? I wouldn't have done it just because of that exact reason for start. I don't know if this is the position I would have used the trestle urban Meyer pick because 
Torrey Smith is very good, but so are Ryan Day's two starting quarterbacks. But also, you can do the idea of what if Terrell Pryor had been developed in this day and age as a quarterback under Ryan Day? Because I think that's what we're doing this under is they're playing in today's offense of Ohio State, which is taking them out of the Urban Meyer, Jim Trussell era. I get it from a talent, um, accolades, what he's achieved standpoint. He does, he's a number one pick caliber person, but this is. This is where maybe strategy and how you maybe want to use that pick comes into play. So I don't have a problem with it from a talent standpoint. Troy Smith is Troy Smith. And just to be clear, my my thought process here is it was the one position where I was genuinely excited about the trestle option. Fair point. I'm that's not necessarily true at any other position, or there is so much depth at that position that if I don't get a trestle pick at those other positions, I was kind of okay with it. So that was I wanted to get the most bang for my buck out of my trestle pick. I, I have a slight edge here, right, as the only person who actually covered anything in the trestle era. So there is one trestle guy hanging out there for me at a particular position that I think might be my go-to there. It would not have scared me off Troy Smith, though, and I thought a lot about Troy Smith. I think this is a very interesting place to go. It does make it a little easier on Stephen and me because now we know that he and I, Stephen, you and I are going to split Fields and Stroud one way or the other. So I like this, and I will say there is a pick like this there is a pick like this that I am considering mm-hmm. right now at number two. And I'm considering it very, 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 very hard. But I don't know if I'm going to do it because now that I gave it away, I feel like I should do it. I think I'm going to do it. I'll take Ezekiel Elliott. That was, I because, almost took him number one. Yeah. Because I, I think people – here's the issue. J.K. Dobbins is a really good running back. One of you guys is going to be very happy with J.K. Dobbins, right? I think every like, I think people are a little down just on Trayvon Henderson right now. They're thinking more about what he did as a sophomore and not how good he was as a freshman. And Zeke is magic. Troy is magic. It's like we could do that draft. Draft magical Ohio State players, right? Well, like how many truly magical, magical Ohio State players are there when you phrase it that way? I can think of a couple more in this draft. I can't. But they're not all over the place. They're not, you don't have one every single year. But I do think you guys are both kind of agreeing with this pick. If you're thinking about voters, if you're thinking about the way people view Ezekiel Elliott and the the peak of him, it's magic. Is it not, Nathan? You're nodding your head. Like the warm feelings yep. that people have when they think of Zeke, those will never go away. There's an X factor to this discussion, to all these discussions, to all these discussions we ever have on this podcast when we're talking about history and people's placements in it. There's this X factor. It's a vibe. It's a feeling, however you want to say it. And Ezekiel Elliott captured that with even with similar production to some of the other guys that we have to pick from. There was an essence to an aura around watching him play and, and looking back on what he did that separates. Like there's other really I, you know, Dobbins is, I think, the great example. You can look at the production that J.K. Dobbins did. Fantastic. Like you said, I think Stephen and Stephen or I will take him and be pretty happy with where that plugs in production wise. But there's something there was something special about what Ezekiel Elliott did. And especially I think you give bonus points when somebody puts a team on their back and carries them to a national championship. So let me ask a question, Stephen. If we're doing a Ryan Day era draft and it's only been four years. Urban had seven, Trestle had 10. Is it a bad thing that the first two picks are non-Ryan Day players? Or is this just like, you know, it's time. There's just, you know, one guy won a Heisman. One guy was the key to a national championship. This is 
how this works? Or is it like, hey, day era, let's go. Let's get some more magical dudes. For starters, you taking Ezekiel here very much changes the way I have to think about this. Because now I, if, <laughs> I had some things in my mind and you threw them off. No, I don't think so. I just think that Urban Meyer had a special guy of that caliber so early who had a magical moment. This is this is like year three of the Urban Meyer era, and he had that, and he finished the job. Troy Smith didn't finish the job from a national championship standpoint, but he finished the job in terms of hardware. We've had guys in the Ryan Day era who were probably of that caliber, but because they don't finish the job, you don't view them the same way. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think, okay, I feel good about making this pick then. I feel good about it. So, Stephen, now you said you had to adjust yeah. your thinking here. You have picks three and four. Where are you going? Yeah, I'm getting my trestle pick out of the way now because I can't afford to just let him be on either one of you guys. Roster. I'm taking Teddy again, Jr. That's, I mean, that's a special as special gets. We are talking about college football, and there is not an era of college football. You don't drop that type of speed in, and he's not special. That's three. That's three. Ryan, what are you doing? What are we doing here? This is super well, interesting. Be- Go ahead, Nathan. Well, I was just going to say, the counter argument is that there's been so much good talent in the four days of the Ryan Day era that there's depth there. You don't feel scarcity at positions. Like, the, I really, I understand this pick. I don't think, I don't know if I would have taken again here, but I understand. When I drew this up, because listen, we're looking at it through the modern lens. We're looking at this through the 2023 lens. And I know that you covered the Trestle era, so you have a unique perspective on how special those guys were in the moment, but when we look at him through the modern lens and all in the recruiting ramp up that happened from when Ryan or an Urban Meyer got here and has taken Ohio State kind of to another level, then the Trestle talent doesn't really show up on my lists that much. That was why I wanted to grab Troy Smith first because I don't care. There was like no other Trestle player that I was that excited to get. Yeah, I, I know. So for instance, one guy who is now not going to be picked that we know for sure is Maurice Claret because you guys both made trestle picks and I've picked my yep. running back. That would be another guy. Like we're talking about magic, right? Little, mm-hmm. little sprinkled magic in the, especially in the minds of Ohio state fans. Claret's not going to be in this draft. He would belong in that category. Again, there's, there's a Wells. couple guys, but it's not as many. Cause like for a shorthand, what I did, I went through, yeah, Beanie Wells is another guy that's not going to wind up in this draft. I had both of them on my list as possibilities mm-hmm. here, depending how things would shake out. The, um, What I did is I just double-checked everybody who started in the Ryan Day era, and then I went through and looked at the all Big Ten players from the Meyer and Trestle eras. And that was my shorthand of like, yeah, that's like if you're not an all Big Ten player and you're only getting, you know, one guy from each era in this draft, you're probably not going to make it. And to your point, Nathan, like offensively, there's not a million in the 10 years of the Trestle era. They're not all – there are years – there, there are years where you go through and it's like, man, there's a lot of Wisconsin guys in the all Big Ten team. Man, there's a lot of Iowa guys on the all Big Ten team. Why aren't there more Buckeyes? And it was this era of special teams and defense and maybe a special guy here or there like Troy Smith, like Ted Ginn, like Beanie Wells, like Terrell Pryor. But it wasn't like constant, a constant flow like maybe you see in the Ryan Day era with the offensive skill position. So I find this to be a very interesting, this is interesting to me, Stephen, because you are so, I don't know what the word would be, aware of, locked into the receiver position in the Ryan Day era, and that you still decided to go with Ted Ginn Jr., I think as a a tip of the cap to Teddy. 
So good for Teddy. Yeah, I think an element of it is, I mean, there's an element to us trying to build a roster here, and nobody has that type of speed to put at that Z position that nobody can match that. And like I said, Ted, you drop him in any era, he's Teddy Ginn Jr. Ted Ginn Jr. I don't, even in today's receiver room, they're really good receivers or NFL level receivers, but that doesn't mean they're guys where no matter what era you drop them into, they're going to be what they are right now. Well, you can say that about Ted. Okay. Fourth pick to you, Stephen. Where are you going now? Once again, the board was thrown off. Um, part of me wants to get my Urban Meyer pick out of the way right now. But at the same time, like like Nathan said, there is such a talent jump that maybe you can wait on it a little bit. And I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to wait a little bit on that one. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to take J.K. Dobbins. I, I think of what's available to take left on the board for what I can do since I can't take a trestle guy anymore because they're gone. That takes the Maurice Clarice and Beanie Wells out of the equation. The next logical choice at running back here is J.K. Dobbins. And then I do think there is, I mean, he has 2,000 yards in a season. Regardless of what he did in 2018, he more than made up for that in 2019 when he was the engine of that team. And as much as we want to talk about penalties and, you know, targeting calls and an interception at the end of the game as part of why they lost to Clemson, J.K. Dobbins was running all through Clemson's defense and then his ankle, he messed his ankle up and that took away that most important part of that Ohio State offense that year was its running game. And so when you have a 2,000 yard back and you've already lost a dude who was magical because of that run he had at the end of 2014, you got to take the next best guy and that's J.K. Dobbins. Puts the squeeze on Baird a little bit. Now you can wait, Nathan, but also you're going to have a decision to make um, on where you're going to go there, and there's probably going to be a little drop there. So that's a, that's a good pick. I like the, you know, we're making thinking about tiers and scarcity and that kind of thing. I, I think J.K. Dobbins is a good pick here at number four. And as the first player off the board from the actual Ryan Day era in the Ryan Day era draft. Okay. I don't know exactly what I want to do. I know theoretically how I want to approach it. I'm between a couple guys, but I think I'll let my recency bias guide me a little bit here, and I'll take Paris Johnson. Mm-hmm. So I there are just some just some positions here where we don't have enough guys. So I think tackle is one of them, Nathan. I'm glad when I hear Steven grunt. That's a good thing for my pick. That makes me feel good about it. Nathan, what do you think of Paris Johnson here? That was very likely going to be my pick. Uh, I felt the same way you did. Um, although there, I mean, it, it it depends on how, like there's, there, there isn't as much like first round talent at this position, but there's definitely NFL talent at this position that has come out of the Ryan Day era. And that, that's being proven out right now uh, actively and is about to be proven out again uh, in April. But Paris Johnson Jr. is one of those, you know, being a, a you know, m- all American on multiple lists. Not a lot of guys that you can on this whole thing that you're necessarily describing that way. So I, I like this pick. This is where you messed me up. Was he on your he board, Stephen? For when it came he back to you, he was going. Yeah. To, he oh, was good. no. He was going to be three or four until you took Ezekiel Elliott and Troy Smith as the first two picks, and it made me have to rethink some things here. Uh, but there's still some depth. I think there's still some first round depth. Taking Paris now makes me have to think about how I use other picks going forward. But I agree. I think he deserves to be this high in terms of this is a five-star kid who's a very big deal when he, when Ryan Day held on to him. And even though, you know, even though, yeah, there's some versatility here. You put him at guard if you want to, because he did play guard for a year here. Well, actually two years, because he was a backup guard at the end of that 2020 season. And he even played some snaps in that Clemson game. But so there's versatility, there's that, but also more importantly, 
he was really good when he finally got to play the position he was recruited to play here. He had he had given up one sack in his career ever before that Michigan game. Yeah, I, I if I put him at guard, I've done something wrong. Something has gone terribly awry. Um, so my plan is put him draw tackle, a story. But to your point. Yes, I do have some flexibility there. Yeah. <laughs> something has gone terribly awry. <laughs> Buckeye talk slash the Greg Sudrawa story. That's pretty good. Uh, okay. Pick six, Nathan Baird, we're to you. Decision. Because uh, I don't think I'm going to take – I think I can just save running back till the end, and I think I know who I'm almost basically locked into there. Um, it, 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 I do still have the Urban Meyer pick that I can use, but I want to – man. Uh, I, so, man, I was probably going to take Paris. Dang it. <laughs> and now, 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 now strategy comes into it, but I think I'm just going to, I think I'm just going to keep it simple and, and let, you know, the guy who we thought maybe belonged already on the, the receivers Buckmore and the guy that I think will definitely be there a year from now. So with this next snake, oh. we can talk about the same time since they're both receivers. I'm going to take Marvin Harrison Jr. And Chris Olave. That's a great pairing. So I was very curious to see, to see how this day era receivers would shake out because there, there's some, there's like a top level, right? There's a clear top level with these guys, but so, and officially Marvin Harrison jr. You're picking ahead of Chris Olave. I thought Marvin Harrison jr. I thought Marvin Harrison jr. I was pretty sure would be the first receiver off the board from the day era. But I think you could – I think maybe you could make arguments. I don't know. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were just the two best rookie receivers in the NFL and did amazing things. And maybe – not that it changes the lens, but it's like, hey, maybe if they both weren't here together, maybe if they didn't have Jackson Smith and Jigba in their final year as another option, maybe those guys would have gone nuts too. But I do think Marvin is the right guy. And again, Stephen, you're grunting. Would you – you think this is a good pairing. You said that. It was Marvin in your mind, Stephen, definitely the top day era receiver in a draft like this. 100% the best receiver. I mean, just physically. He's – no one else is built like him and can do some of the stuff he does. And I think the reason why I said great pairing is Marvin Harrison is everything you want in the X receiver in this offense. Chris Olave is everything you want in the Z receiver in this offense. Smooth route runner who just takes tops off defenses and gets in the end zone. And that's what they want from the Z. And then, Mar- I mean, everybody in the world will want Marvin at their, that, as their ex. They're going to be NFL scouts salivating over him from the moment. he. Pro- I, w- I would assume he is on- he's catching balls from CJ at Pro Day, just like we saw in years past with underclassmen getting to participate at Ohio State. I-, I like this pairing a lot. Okay. So now we are heading back to me. And I have a decision here because there's – the guy I kind of want to take based on football and scarcity. And then there's the guy who's got some juice and would make my heart swell with joy. So what do I want to do? Do I want to make my heart swell with joy? Do I want to make my heart swell with joy? And maybe make Steven sad? Don't do that. Do I want to do that? Do I want to do that? And maybe make a point? And maybe make a point. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll take Garrett Wilson. And Y'all here's hate me why. Today. In the end, as much as we talked about Garrett Wilson on this podcast, 
Was he underrated at yes. Ohio State? Was he underrated as somebody who, in his final year, was surrounded by two other first-round talents at receiver? And you saw what Marvin Harrison Jr. did this year. They're, they're completely different styles of receiver. But I talked for three months about how I wanted the Browns to draft Garrett Wilson before they made the trade for Deshaun Watson. I thought Garrett would be great in the NFL. We all thought Garrett would be great in the NFL. And then Garrett's great in the NFL. And I, and I think he's just scratching the surface. What if Garrett Wilson is on like the Justin Jefferson path? And then it, I think we would say, well, they didn't, he didn't have 1,900 receiving yards in a season at Ohio State. I'm preparing myself, Nathan, for the actually Garrett Wilson is even better than we ever realized, even though we talked about how great he was all the time. Do you know what I'm saying, Nathan? I think I, I, I we might yeah. be agreeing here. Yeah, and and listen, Marvin Harrison Jr. is the only guy available from this pretty stacked receiver core that was a con- unanimous All-American. And, like, that's a – it had been a long time in Ohio State history since that had happened. And that says something, but it also kind of says – that he didn't have two other first-round receivers in his offense at the same time. I think that if you were to take Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson and drop them into other years of Ohio State history where they got to be the number one option by themselves instead of like 1A, 1B, 1C as they were in 21, then I think that maybe they could have had a season like that that stood out a little bit more statistically. Because in terms of performance, not production, but performance, what they were was unquestioned. They just happened to do it together at the same time. Is he your slot or your ex? I don't know. Which makes the point. I got because that's I have to figure. Yeah, I have. It because, depends on who else I take. Because we talk about. I mean, we call it the Garrett Wilson plan. Whenever we ask Emeka and Jackson and Brandon Ennis one day, we call it the Garrett Wilson plan. You start outside, you go inside. Which some of that might have just been because the depth was just lacking after KJ Hill left and you probably didn't want to start a two freshman but if it's 20 if 2020 is normal he has an a thousand yard season in the slot and then he actually had a a thousand yard season as an X while also having some time as punt returner where I mean it was boomer bust but he has some great punt returns they were using him in the run game on some of those jet sweeps where he was explosive there I mean he is the genesis of the wide receiver renaissance here and he has been it since he committed he was in as a player and now he's doing it in the NFL Garrett, I'm sorry. You're supposed to be on Team Stephen, but it is what it is. <laughs> okay. So let's make this pick at nine, Stephen, and then we'll take a break. And I'm super curious to see what you do here. I think I know what you're going to do, but I'm curious. Go ahead. I have to take Jackson Smith the Jigba here, right? I mean, I-, I have to. I think you do. I have no t- – you guys, there is a – as the receiver room is great – but there is a bit of a drop off. And I think Ameka might be creeping because he did have a quiet thousand yard year this past season. It just maybe didn't look as explosive all the time. So maybe he's a, a caliber guy here. But I, I, just for right now, I think it's those four a little drop off, then Ameka. And then there's like, okay, there's a lot of questions there. And you can't leave that on the board for either one of you guys to take with wide receiver spots still available. So I, I don't really have a choice. I've got to take the guy who had more catches and more yards in a single season than anybody else in, in Ohio State history, and the only reason he didn't follow it up is because of a hamstring. Shay, what woe is me? 
Yeah, this top four, Nathan, right? These top mm-hmm. four day era receivers are cut above. I wanted to get two of these guys somehow. So that's why I just jumped at the at the first two to get the first two. I mean, you just there there are positions where the day era is a little more scarce relative to those other two, and you only get to pick one from each of those. So that gets tricky. But here, uh, the there's a, a wealth of talent from the day era. And uh, I, I wanted to get two of those four because these are the best receivers in school history, right? I mean, program history. Like they, like like Stephen said, like the, the renaissance. I think that's a good way to look at it. And I know that they were used differently in the past. And if the argument I was making about dropping those guys into the past, maybe that doesn't hold up because uh, they wouldn't have been thrown to as much. And you could say, uh, oh, here's a guy from the Trestle era or the Meyer era that if you put them under Ryan Day, you know, how many thousands of yards would they have had? Fair, totally fair. But uh, we have to go somewhat on what our eyes are showing us and what the what black and white is showing us. And th- these guys have been unquestionably great. All right. That's our first three rounds. We have eight rounds left. We'll take a break here on Buckeye Talk. We'll come back with the first pick in round four after this. Back on Buckeye Talk. 614-350-3315 if you want to be a tech subscriber. Make sure you're listening to the College Football Survivor Show. If you care about national college football at all, that's twice a week free now. We used to have a bonus paid episode there. Now twice a week free. Wherever you listen to Buckeye Talk, you can find the College Football Survivor Show. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. Nathan Baird, start the fourth round. There's so many positions where now I want to take an Urban Meyer guy. <laughs> now I'm, I'm, I'm limited to just the one, and I've and some of them are positions where I'm 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 a little bit stuck. Um, blah, blah, blah. but I feel like I'm going to use that now and it's going to lock me into some other things, but I'm going to take Taylor Decker and get another, at least one strong tackle. That was my only hesitation about taking Zeke is that Taylor Decker is hanging out there at a position where, I mean, just like this actually makes some things a little bit easier there's only been five players who have started at tackle in the Ryan Day era. So, like, we need a sixth. <laughs> like, you need, unless you want to take, you know, and now we don't have to take him, I don't think, right? Unless you want to take, like, Josh Allaby, because he started, like, a game and a half in his career, whatever, like that. Unless you want to go down that road, you've got to grab somebody from another era here. Because there's just some positions in the Ryan Day era where they have not yet had six starters and we need six starters at these spots where there's two guys, two tackles, two guards, stuff like that. So I I really had Decker high on my list, and I think he probably had to be taken in this draft one way or the other. Steven, was Decker a guy you were looking at at all? He was my next pick. This is going to get really rough <laughs> here very quickly here, going, hmm. going, going third. <laughs> it's not Snake. It's going to get really rough. Yeah, so that's a good pick. So, Nathan, like, you kind of zeroed in on this. You kind of knew this might be – once Zeke was off the board, you really thought this might be a urban guy. Well, yeah, but there's – man, I can tell you, like, there's three other positions where I think maybe the urban guy was the best guy I could take, but you only get to take one. Um, there are some guys now that this crosses off for me that I'm kind of bummed because I think they would have fit in really well with what else I was doing here. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to go now with the guy that I almost took last round before my heart led me to Garrett Wilson. And I'm going to take Wyatt Davis at guard. 
at another position where you just need some folks. And this guy is an All-American. And his NFL career has not gone the way I anticipated it would be. But I don't think we can forget that this guy was a two-year starter, two-and-a-half-year starter, really, at Ohio State, and was like a very, very, very good player at Ohio State. And when he decided, when he opted out and then unopted out of the pandemic season in 2020, when he was like, oh, no, wait, they're going to play in the fall, I'm going to stay, that was like a huge deal. And so I do think there's other solid guards here in the Ryan Day era, but I think it's pretty clear Wyatt Davis is the best one. So I am happy to take him here in the fourth round. And Stephen, are you rubbing your eyes and saying, why is this happening to me again? I'm getting ready to go really heavy on offensive line because I don't have a choice <laughs> at this point. No, I, I think that's a good. I think that's a good pick. And uh, it, guard is not as scarce, scarce as I thought it was was going to be when you look down at, at a lot of situations. But I do think it's going to get to a point here where you, you're going to have to start looking forward and maybe having a little bit of belief in people who maybe haven't done it yet. So there is going to be an element with I think offensive line, especially where belief in recruiting rankings is going to probably matter more than what have you done from what did you actually do what you use the urban meyer picks as i've used my trestle pick and since there hasn't been that many starting offensive linemen here in the day era for being honest was wyatt davis high on your board nathan he was my number one guard for sure um i think there in that was but it was also another position where uh not having the meyer pick anymore was going to box me in to some things so um but yeah, uh, I think everything you said, I mean, again, how many people, and I know we can quibble about what, how much just like his name recognition, whatever, but is unanimous All-American, unanimous All-American, and was an All-American the year before that too. So when, when everybody thought that was an absolute legitimate designation for him in 2019. Uh, so yeah, good pick. Okay. Steven Means, up to you. DeWan Jones. And the, I mean, the, the, he's Thanos. He's as big as can be. He just blew everybody away at the senior bowl. He forced Ohio State to reshuffle its offensive line. A lower-rated kid that Greg Shadrawa told you, if it hits, he's a first-rounder. Well, that's if it hits. You don't know that in 2019. He's just a really big kid who's like, ooh, maybe there's something there. But in year three, probably ahead of schedule for a guy who was recruited, where who was ranked where he was, he, re, he forced Ohio State to reshuffle its offensive line. He played well for two years there. And I am not going to be totally shocked if he plays his way into the first round. If he does anything like what he did at the Senior Bowl, at the Combine, and does it again at his Pro Day. I think those physical measurements, along with that athleticism a little bit, I think guys might get a little high on him as we get later down in this in this um, draft process here. And he was just really good at Ohio State. He yeah. was like a really good player this last year. I thought he was, thought he was good in his first year as a starter, and then he just – yeah. He was, he really was a very good player. And I do think I, I do think this is the right there's some other tackles here that are obviously we have to pick, but I do think this is the right guy to go next. And I do think there's enough of a gap here that this is a good pick here. Nathan, you're nodding. Like this is where Dewan yep. Jones belongs. Yep. No, absolutely. I mean, this is uh there's there's one other guy that I think would have been like a, a kind of a savvy pick, and maybe I'll get to do it later. Um, but, but in terms of just like who, who's the next best tackle on this list, I think it's Dewan Jones. All right. So first pick in the fifth round, Nathan is to you. So there's one position where I am going to get absolutely boxed out because I've already taken Meyer and Trestle players and, um, we're running thin. They've only had, 
really, really two starting centers during the Ryan Day era. So I'm going to take Josh Myers here to make sure that I get one because I can't take the very good centers that played under Meyer and Trestle anymore. I think that's a good pick, and I do think it's Josh Myers over Luke Whipler. No offense to Luke Whipler, right? Josh Myers is just a, maybe a little step step above Luke. Is that right, and Ryan Nathan? Or was this cl- did you ponder no, Whipler at all? Um, I mean, I had I had Myers over Whipler. If for some reason someone had already taken Myers, I would have taken Whipler here. But like, I I, I think I would put Myers ahead of Whipler. But also, we got to see third and fourth year Josh Myers. We didn't get to see fourth year Luke Whipler yet, and that could have been something really good. So we'll get to see it when he's in the NFL, technically. And Josh Myers went very high in the draft, maybe even higher than we expected he would be. Yep. And obviously, I mean, it seeps into your consciousness one way or another. So I do think Josh Myers is a good is a good pick here. Steven, was, was Josh Myers someplace on your board where you were getting ready to consider him? Um, Yeah, I, I don't know. I- I understand why you come to the, the the conclusion that it's Josh Myers over Luke Whipler because we got to see third and fourth. Well, Luke Whipler won a job in year two. Now, there are some complications as to why that is that maybe it's an off the – depending on when yeah. the timeline of things happened and worked out. But the point of the matter is we weren't thinking that Luke Whipler was going to win. It, it was a thought, but we thought that was Harry Miller's job to lose. But he won a job in year two, and he played pretty well. I think the difference here is just maybe the physicals. Josh Myers physically just – looks more of the part and that's why he's already the Packers starting center going forward. But I mean, Luke Whippler two years as a starter, I think he's been pretty quality these last two years. Okay. This is my pick in the fifth round. And and once again, I am really between some people here. I feel like there's a spot I should go because not just based on what the, how the fans would think about it. I, I think it's legit. I'll take a Mecca. It's not the, yeah. it's not necessarily the football choice I think I should make, but I I think he's the last splash receiver of the day era. There are some other very good, very good receivers in the day era, but this guy just had a very not quiet but underrated thousand yard season. He was the number one receiver recruit in the country. The best is probably yet to come for him. He does. He he is a guy that. Sometimes he gets the ball and explodes, and it's like, oh, okay, that that looked pretty good. So, Stephen, is this too high for a mecca? The one thing too is you guys both have two receivers, and I only had one, and I was worried that somebody was going to take a mecca as their third receiver. While I yeah. still only had one receiver, and all of a sudden my receiver core was potentially going to look really light. So, what do you think about this for mecca pick, Stephen? Yeah, I think that I understand why you take it both from strategy, but also. It's crazy. I mean, he's one of nine people with a thousand yard seasons of Ohio State history. And unless something, re- I mean, things go wrong here at Ohio State for guys in their third year. So we're going to knock on woods that he doesn't get adopted by aliens. But him and Marvin Harrison are on pace right now to be the only two guys with multiple thousand yard seasons in their career. So that's got to mean something when you're talking. It's, it's underrated because it's not as flashy and crazy the way, you know, Marvin and Jackson and Garrett, even Chris Olave had gotten their yards and whatnot, but he just, he, he produces. And I do think, I think the way I explained it earlier was perfect. And then how it ended up playing out is there's that four man group. And then there's maybe a little bit of a drop off and where Emeka Buka lives with him, you know, maybe ascending towards that, making it a five man group. So I do think he deserves to be taken this early. Okay. 
I'll see if I get the other guy that I really, really, if I just, 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 just was doing football, I think I would have taken. We'll see if he's still there when I pick next. Steven, it's up to you. Um, He's probably going to be there because I'm taking Luke Whipler just because I think he's good, but also I don't want to use my Urban Meyer pick or Billy Price. Okay. That boxes me in a little bit with my stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm prepared for it, but it also boxes me in a little bit. I do think there is, it's just one of these things, Nathan, as you noted, it's two years of Josh Myers and two years of Luke Whipler. Harry Miller played a little center, played like he started that one game at center um, when it didn't go great, but he has the ability to play center. I could still take Harry Miller as a center here without using a bonus pick somewhere else. But, in terms of strategy here, Nathan, Steven just kind of boxed me a little bit. You know, there was a strategy here where you could have waited until you were boxed in to take one of the four centers under Meyer or Trestle, who was an All-American. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, let other – and, like, then make your decision yeah. off of that. Like, be, But then you're waiting around and maybe not taking guys that you wanted more. So uh, you don't have a – you have to take a Jim Trestle – center or you take Harry Miller. That's really where you're at now because you've already taken mm-hmm. an Urban Meyer player. Right. So you get to pick one of the two All-American centers <laughs> played under Jim Trestle or you get to take Harry Miller who was maybe on that trajectory um, if things had, had gone different for him. So it's not a bad place to be. But I, I, I think Stephen and I also because of, especially me, like I had to take a, a, a Ryan Day center. I couldn't, like what happens if I let you guys take Myers and Whipler? Now where am I staying? Then I have to take Miller, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This offensive line, this four years in is not a hugely long time. So again, there's just, and especially same thing at guard and tackle. There are a couple guys that's like, well, they were a starter at guard and a starter at tackle, but we can only take them once. Like there's just not enough starters on the offensive line. So we are now in round six and Nathan Baird, what are you going to do? I think I can go one of two ways here, but I, I think I'm going to stay on the offensive line. I'm going to take Donovan Jackson here. This is still more promise than what he's actually produced. But the fact that they are so committed to him staying at guard with their other issues that they have on the offensive line this year. And I I predicted that that's what they would do because I think they see how special he could be in this third year. I think that's a good pick. Uh, I got to let my football, I got to let my footballness go here. I I can't, this is going to be unstrategy. This is unstrategy, but I'm just going to do it and let the chips fall where they may. Um, There's this thing that I'm really nervous about that I'm worried about. I'm going to take Jonah Jackson. And he is the guy that I almost took last round. And this allows us to have a conversation of, I would take Jonah Jackson over Donovan Jackson based on now, based on the player that Jonah Jackson was. And I'm I'm admittedly letting a little NFL stuff seep into my mind because he's been a starter in the NFL basically from day one. Donovan Jackson is is a five-star player whose best football is in front of him, who for a first-year starter and a second-year player in 2022 played very well. But I'm pretty happy to get Jonah Jackson here. Steven, what do you think of a discussion between the two Jacksons in a draft like this? I agree. I think they I'm kind of happy they went back to back regardless of the order they went in because it is a sense of what have you actually done versus what you might be able to do because I thought 
um, Donovan Jackson was fine this year. He just had a couple moments where it looked like he was a first year mm-hmm. starter, second guy in the program. While Jonah Jackson was a plug and play. He was fully developed by that point and just needed to be on a better team to showcase it better. And I, so I do like that these guys went back to back to each other. I would give the edge to Jonah because of the reasons you named Doug. It's just he did it better because he was older. But if you're, if I was an actual GM, I might take Donovan Jackson just because you know that ceiling is definitely higher. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the ceiling might be higher. The, the ceiling on paper is higher. The ceiling based on people's evaluations of him when he was 16, 17 years old was higher. But what, what Jonah Jackson is doing in the NFL right now is not easy, even for a team that's like not that great in the Lions. But he seems to be very good and is is keeping a job. And that is a hard thing to do. So uh, there were, to be fully transparent, there were at least two guards and not if not three that I had higher than Donovan Jackson and Jonah Jackson, but because we can only take one Urban Meyer guy, I was crossed out of a couple of those guys. So we were getting farther down my guard list and I had to pull the trigger on someone. So I am, I think, pulling, I am definitely going more on promise, but I was a a big fan of what Jonah Jackson did that year at Ohio State. I think it was a little bit overlooked uh, somewhat in history, probably as you look back on that 2019 team and you look at all the great things that that team had on both sides of the ball and that transfer bringing him in from Rutgers for just that one year a very specialized thing when um you know they they you know the I mean my god how would we be talking about Jonah Jackson right now if he were able to transfer into Ohio State this season like it would be seen as like a lifesaver that 2019 team didn't need it to that extent but it needed to to plug a hole and it plugged it with an all big 10 caliber guy okay two straight guards we're, we're getting into the offensive line here. We've just gone center, guard, guard with the last three picks. Steven, we're back to you at the end of round six. Yeah, I'm going to stick with the offensive line a little bit because I've got some wiggle room with some skill guys as I continue to keep that Urban Meyer pick open as long as possible. I think you guys are kind of get to here who I might be taking with the Urban Meyer pick, but I'll save it. I'm going to take Thayer Munford here. And I have, depending on how the next couple of rounds here of the draft go, is how I'll decide whether or not he's a tackle or a guard. Because he played both. This is a this is a big decision because like this he's one of the best guards and he's a great option at tackle. But yeah. now he's gone. So this is this is difficult in in that he takes up tackle time. I don't I don't know, Nathan. This is just like there's not enough <laughs> there's not enough tackles in this draft for us. And so Thayer Munford here, I'll be very curious, Stephen, how you wind up using him. But Thayer Munford, Nathan, like the flexibility of Thayer Munford, who also, by the way, was a really good college football player. Really good. Mm-hmm. Makes him, a, I think, a great pick at this point in the draft. It was who I was going to probably take next just because of that flexibility. I still had both tackle and guard open, and I could take him and decide where I put him based on what I – there aren't that many guys really who have that flexibility, you know. I mean, we can talk about receiver or whatever, but but also, like, do we really need a slot receiver? I mean, if, if, if you were to take a a set of three receivers such that you were calling Chris Olave your slot receiver – no one would really argue with that that much. They wouldn't be like, mm-hmm. you can't do that. But like, if you took, uh, if you were, if you took like, uh, Luke Whipler and tried to say he was one of your tackles, people would be like, no, false. You're not doing that. So because that's a very specialized thing. So yeah, I think this was a really smart just because of his versatility and because he was so very good for so long. 
Okay. We'll go to the start of the seventh round. Nathan, it's you. I got to stay on the offensive line, I think. I'm going to take Nicholas petit Frere, put him on my other tackle. Again, just a guy. And, and I'm, I'm influenced a little bit by the fact that he walked in day one and got a starting job in the NFL. And uh, that means a little something. Okay. Scarcity-wise, I'm, I'm sure that's the right pick. He's really good. Like, again, he's a five-star who fought for jobs, didn't quite get there. Then when he got there, he was a really good player for multiple years, Stephen. I, I do think as much as, like, we are, we've spent a lot of time talking about the future of tackle at Ohio State for good reason. But I think one of the reasons, Stephen, as, is that however they did it, like with the emergence of Dewan Jones, with how steady Thayer Munford was for multiple years, tackle has been pretty solid in the Ryan Day era so far for four years. And NPF is an example of that. Was he a first-team All-American? No. Was he a five-star top 20 national player who turned into a very good multi-year starter at Ohio State? Yes. If they had a Nicholas petit Frere on this roster right now, we'd be like, oh, okay, it's all fine. The whole point is like they don't have one of those guys. So the idea that Nicholas petit Frere would go sort of this low in a draft like this, considering how vital tackle is right now for them, I think is a sign of, you know what? As much as we just titled Greg Studrawa's autobiography, what do we call it? Oh, no, things went awry. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. What. <laughs> but they were pretty good at tackle these past four years, Stephen, weren't they? So – before, I mean, just think about the guys that went ahead of Nicholas petit Frere, who was a five-star. I mean, he's the highest-rated title Ohio State's ever had. But think of the guys we just took ahead of him. Taylor Decker was a first-rounder. Paris Johnson is about two months from that, from being a first-rounder. DeWan Jones might be a first-rounder. And Thayer Munford, who is a three-year starter at, t- at left tackle and then a starter at guard. I'm pretty. I'm, did he start this past year for the Raiders? I don't pay attention. The Raiders are not very good. But, I mean, the guys we we took and put of Nicholas petit Frere – are high-level football players. And now there's only one tackle left on the board who was a who started for a significant amount of time. So it is a lot of scarcity at that position now. And I think I have to take him because yeah, I'm just, worried that if I don't, you're going to take him, play mm-hmm. Munford at guard, and I'm literally not going to have a second tackle. So I have to take Brandon Bowen. And I think it's fine. It's not what I want to do. But I feel it's like what I have to do because you're fine, Stephen, because you can mm-hmm. play Jones, Dewan Jones, and Thayer Munford as your two tackles. But if if I didn't take Bowen here and you decided to take Bowen and play Munford at guard, I'm playing Josh Fryer on my team here. I don't I'm playing Josh Allaby. Like I don't even know what I'm doing. So I think I have to take Brandon Bowen here. Were you perhaps going to stick it to me by taking Brandon Bowen if I didn't? Mm-hmm. Yes, this is. I'm calling all of these picks the Garrett Wilson revenge. <laughs> but yes, it would have been a great Justin. <laughs> if I could have spent, if I could have spent the next four picks getting four of my five starting offensive linemen, understanding that guard was going to get a little bit iffy in terms. If it's more, I have to believe in what the future is because the the chances of me getting Matthew Jones would have been slim at that point. I have to take that chance because the skill positions, as much as we're talking about, you know. Day picks haven't gone until now. There's plenty of skill guys to go around at Ohio State, especially for me since I've still got that Urban Meyer pick. The trenches gets iffy because there just aren't a lot of people who have started. Ohio State's had some long-term two, three-year, four-year starters here at Ohio, here in the last couple of years here that's made it very hard to get a true evaluation on what's behind them and be comfortable with that.
There aren't a lot of three and done guys. Yeah, in the Ryan Day era, they there have been five players who have started at tackle as full time starters, and there have been five players who have started at guard as full time starters, mm-hmm. and two of those five are the same guy. So, <laughs> so it's not ten; it's only eight bodies. You know, when you really think about it, because. Thayer Munford and Paris Johnson started at both positions, Nathan. So it just, it gets jammed up real quick. Just not even an oddity. It's just, they really had a group of core guys with some flexibility that they were able to move around and fill holes and solve problems in the last couple of years in very, very effective ways. And it just, again, emphasizes, man, they just don't have that seemingly obviously right now in 2023, but they've really done a good, Thayer Munford was, Again, if we wanted to do like a most important Ohio State players of the last 20 years, the Thayer Munford's road to get here and then what he became once he got here, being a, um, how many years he started at multiple positions, and you think about take him out and what happens, he's a keystone. Everything falls apart. You know, Paris Johnson, only two-year starter, but again, the idea that, hey, he could play guard even though he wasn't a guard and then he was ready to be a left tackle. There's a couple guys who have really been game changers on the offensive line for them, Nathan, which is great for Ohio State, for tough for this draft. Yeah, I, I we could do a draft that's or a, a, a an episode that's like the load-bearing Buckeyes, and it's it's because it's the guys who, they're not on the outside of the house, they're not the landscaping, they're not the like showy stuff. But they are the guys who are holding the walls up, and and I I don't mean that as you are you're not you're not like uh, damning them with faint praise here. It's like the, it's it's hard to be like second team All Big Ten caliber or whatever for three years in a row or whatever. Like that's really hard to do, even if you're a, a player at Ohio State. So uh, I, I I give them all the credit, uh, and I think this Brandon Bowen pick is good though. Not just because of scarcity. I mean, it would have made a, It would have been a great pick if he just fell into your lap later in the draft, right? A guy who was was going to be a a starter was starting right at at guard. Uh, got hurt, had to come back, win another job. So you got some flexibility there too. If you if if there were enough people to use that flexibility, but there's not. Um, but it was a starter on a playoff team and and did a good job that year. I will say one of the other guys I had on my list is Alex Boone as a mm-hmm. trestle pick at tackle. I still could have done that. If you would absolutely jam me up, I may have had to do that. It's just I rather would use my trestle pick that I still have somewhere else, so I felt like I had to take Bowen here. To this point, that's six straight offensive linemen. Luke Whipler, Donovan Jackson, Jonah Jackson, Thayer Munford, Nicholas petit Frayer, Brandon Bowen, as we get to the final pick in round seven. Steven, where are you going? I'm going to make it seven straight because I think after that it gets a little interesting and in having to pick guys. So I'm going to take Matthew Jones as a guard. One, because I also don't have a guard now that Thayer Mumford is for sure playing left tackle for me. But it's just, I, I don't think, there is a gap between him and the other guys we picked. Maybe him and Brandon Bowen are in the same category here. But in terms of guys who have started enough football games for me to actually have trust in them in a situation like this, Matthew Jones was pretty quality this year when he was out there and when that foot wasn't bothering him. And he also, last year, was a sixth utility guy who got a lot of snaps in 2021. And and he played a little bit the year before that. That yeah. this is he. We know he's going to be a starter in 2023. He was a starter last year. He was the sixth guy the year before that, and he he played like I don't know, 200 snaps or something the year before that. Nathan, this is a guy again who has really been valuable in sort of filling in the cracks, 
in the offensive line before he won a job on his own. I think you can underrate what Matthew Jones has meant to this team, but he's really provided a service for them. It's who I was going to take next just to kind of finish things off um, because I'm so limited in, in who I can take and it would have just completed my offensive line. But uh, when I looked at him compared to the one other option that you have from the day era, again, it's a, you know, Harry Miller had the higher ceiling and may have been able to get there someday and was asked to do big things at a younger age. But in terms of performance, again, Matt Jones, what he does not easy to do. I mean, it's like a lot of teams across the Big Ten even are would be dying for Matt Jones right now. Okay, that's a good pick this late in the draft to wrap up round seven. Nathan, round eight starts with you. Well, yeah, and again, I think I still have to just go ahead and take Harry Miller here just to finish my offensive line. I have to take Day Guys. He's the last starting offensive lineman that could fit here at guard that I could take, really, unless you start, you know, parsing it down to guys who filled in for one game. He started a full season for a national championship team. And I think we saw it at the time uh, as definitely some growing pains that season, but also because he won that job in his second year over Matt Jones, uh, over other people, like the fact that he won that job that year was an indication of what was coming for him. Like he was going to have at least one more year in the program and another year of growth, another year of improvement, you know, moving to center his more natural position. But we saw it at the time as indications maybe that, or at least the reason for optimism that bigger things were coming and obviously just life got in the way for him and, and he's doing other things now, but just in terms of, I mean, he was a starter on a national championship team or a national cha- national championship appearance team. Uh, and, uh, I don't have a lot of options, so I'm taking Harry Miller. We all know the Harry Miller story. He was just invited to the State of the Union. He's become an advocate for mental health, as we know. But he he was a five-star recruit, as you said, who started for a team as a young player who made the national championship game. And like we're talking about like a guy like Donovan Jackson now. Okay, okay, Donovan Jackson was pretty solid for a year or two guy. But what might be next? And then just we never saw on the football field what the might be next be. Uh, for Harry Miller. And so, you know, this is, this is, I think this is kind of a necessary pick here, but it's nice to remember and give a nod to what, you know, how good of a football player Harry Miller was uh, when he was on the field at Ohio State. Okay. I'm going to make the pick that I have almost made the last three rounds. I almost picked him in round six. I almost picked him in round seven. And I feel good about picking him here and i'll tell you this is my strategy i have a so i have a trestle pick left and my two choices at the trestle pick and i feel comfortable talking about it because you guys have both used your trestle picks i could either take santonio holmes at receiver and then take a day era center or i can take nick mangold as a trestle pick at center and take a day era receiver and so i would love to have santonio holmes on my team Oh, Super Bowl MVP. He was awesome here. And he he jumped not early, but he could have stayed one more year. And if he would have stayed in 06, oh, my gosh, what that might have been. He was outstanding. And I think people remember him fondly. But I just don't know what I'm going to do at center if I don't use my trestle pick at center. So I'm not going to take Santonio Holmes as much as it pains me. And I'm going to take KJ Hill. 
who is the all-time leading receiver yep. in receptions at Ohio State and is like an eighth-round pick here. So I don't love the way my receivers fit together. I do think Garrett Wilson, Emeka Abuka, and KJ Hill are a little redundant, and I'm going to have to, you know, maybe everybody plays everywhere, and they all take turns playing in the slot every now and then. But I do feel like the gap, I mean, the production of KJ Hill, KJ to the MF Hill. I loved him when he was here. I, I just thought he he had, he was just a, a a rare combination of he's sort of like a reliable, like um, not boring, but just like good old reliable KJ Hill. But man, he had some sizzle to him too. So I liked KJ Hill. I'm happy to have KJ Hill on my team. And I do feel like there's a, a gap between KJ Hill and the other guys left here. So I'm sorry, San Antonio Holmes, but I'm going to take KJ Hill. Steven, what do you think of this KJ Hill pick? I kind of like how they fit together. Because, yes, they all can be operate in the slot, but they've all also – well, KJ's only been in the slot, but Emeka and Garrett have played otherwhere, other places where they've had their best season so far. I mean, yeah. Emeka was a Z. So it still kind of fits together a little bit. You're just going to have to run Michael Shanahan's offense and also have these guys get jet sweeps and all this other stuff. You don't really have a mismatch problem. I think it's an interesting little group here, especially since you've got Zeke with it. I don't like – I, I kind of like this. And the quarterback you're probably yeah. going to – and I'm telling you now, the quarterback you're going to get with him probably fits perfectly with the team that you have right now. So I like it. I think K.J. Hill deserved to be picked. Now, is there a more evolved version of him named Jackson Smith okay. and Jigba? Yes, but I think he deserved to get picked for sure. Yep. How are you thinking about K.J. in this draft, Nathan? That was probably going to be my next pick. And, uh, I, you know, to to take – as your third guy, again, the all-time leading receiver in program history. Um, there's no offense in really Ohio State history where he wouldn't fit in there in that spot, right? Like, uh, or at least in the modern time. But whether you're talking about Tressel or Day or or Meyer, that guy can thrive and have a big role in the middle of the offense. So, uh, a good pick. Okay. End of round eight, Steven, it's you. Mm. I'm going to wait on that one just because I don't want to get yelled at by the fans yet. I'm going to use my Urban Meyer pick now, and I'm going to use it to finish out my wide receiver core because I need an X. I need a guy who is just a dog, and we always talk about it. We've been talking about it since Ryan Day showed up here. What if Michael Thomas played in the Ryan Day offense and had these quarterbacks? And so his stats were the way that they're supposed to be for a guy who's of that talent instead of what they were where he was more of a glorified blocker and sometimes they toss the ball his way. And I think he fits perfectly with this group as the X. I've got Ted Ginn as my explosive. I will take the top off the defense guy. And then I've got Jackson in the slot. I think they all fit together. But more importantly, I think I've got Jackson. We've seen what Jackson does in the Ryan Day offense. We've got I've got two other guys where it's like, man, that would have been special in today's offense for Ohio State instead of playing in the offenses they played in. And I got a guy from every era. Man, that is a cold receiver group, man. Mm. Michael Thomas, Ted Ginn Jr., Jackson Smith, and Jigba. And it is, it's representative of all these different eras. Eee, Nathan, that is a, that is a tough yeah. group. That's a, that's a really good use of the Meyer pick, right? And I, I think in the end, Zeke at running back, we all thought about him. Taylor Decker at tackle because of the tackle scarcity and the fact that this guy was an All-American and a first-round pick. 
and then Michael Thomas. I think this is probably the right three Urban Meyer guys, both, I think, to be representative of the Urban Meyer era, but also just with things fit with the day era, Nathan. Like, were the, are these the three Meyer picks in your mind? Well, so it, there's a way that I could have done my draft differently. Left, not taking Taylor Decker, gone with tackles from the day era, and then I could be putting Paris Campbell or even Curtis Samuel in my slot spot. And I thought that also would have been a really nice stack to go along with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Chris Olave. So it, it, the, there were just, again, it, when, when, when Urban Meyer came in, you see the talent really just ratchet up at these skill positions. And uh, it's not a coincidence. And we had a lot of different ways we could go if we chose to there. I think it's a smart pick the way that he has put these three guys together, though. Yeah, I will tell you, it pains me a little bit that Curtis Samuel didn't make a team mm -hmm. because if yeah. we, again, Stephen, are having a discussion of underrated Ohio State guys, he's everything. I mean, take him off the 2016 team. I They might be seven and five. If he was the entire offense. What he can do as a receiver, and also, by the way, he's your best running back. Yep. He saved them in the Michigan game. He is an extraordinary – in the end, in the end, that 2016 team was overrated the whole year, should not have made the playoff. We sh It showed what it was in the Clemson game of how, of how limited it was offensively. But if you don't have Curtis Samuel, you're nothing. He is an extraordinary player, Stephen, but you, of course, have to take Michael Thomas here. But, man, I would have loved a way, as Nathan's outlining, a way for Curtis Samuel to kind of – worm his way onto a squad somehow. I think if I didn't have J.K. Dobbins, I would have taken Curtis Samuel and still put him out running back and then probably just grabbed a different day area running back. Because, I mean, the creativity there, man. Yep. You can – I know – because this is imaginary world, and I know they don't do the two running back thing, but I'm going to do it because this is my world, and I can do what I want with that world. I think him and Thayer Munford, because of the fact that they're versatile in a way that they've proven that they can be elite – at both spots of that they played in during their career, it raises their value so much. Unfortunately, Curtis Samuel is doing so as a skill position guy, where there are some other guys who make it make it makes it feel like with him it's a jack of not all trades, master of none, while these other guys are just masters at this singular position. Okay. Let's go to the start of round nine. Nathan, the pick is to you. Steven and I both have our three receiver sets. So you kind of have like the last receiver on the board. I'm I think I know where you're going to go with your last receiver. He doesn't have to be here, but I'm curious where you go. Um, three picks left. What are you doing? Yeah, and you you both have receivers. You both have running backs. So I'm those are my last two picks. I get to be the first one to take a tight end, and I this will be an interesting one when the when the fans vote. I'll be interested to hear our text or reaction to this because it's like, do you go with recency bias and some numbers, or do you go with the guy I'm going to take who I think is the best all-around tight end that I can take here, and that's Jeremy Ruckert. Interesting, because I have sort of thought to myself as the evolution of Cade Stover took place, who is the best overall tight end of the Ryan Day era? And it's why I think maybe all – there's three guys. We know who the three guys are that are going to be picked. They're all very good. And I'm not a thousand percent sure who I think the best one is. Steven, do you have a firm take on who you think 
the best tight end of the Ryan Day era is? And is it Jeremy Ruckert? I think he had the most talent of the three guys who are realistically in this conversation. But I don't know if he is necessarily the best because I guess the receivers last year were what they were. And so maybe the stats, maybe that reality allowed Cade Stover to have better stats than Jeremy Ruckert had. But that wasn't true in 2020 when it was the Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave show. And it really wasn't. It was only the Penn State game and the Clemson game where it felt like Jeremy Ruckert was a significant part of that passing game in terms of targets. And it makes me feel if we throw Cade Stover of 2022 in the 2020 season, Garrett and Crystal do what they do. But does a tight end finish with 20 plus catches? And now it's, it's hard because they only played eight games or some of that. Since you'd have to prorate a lot of that stuff. But it very much felt like for a guy who was in his third year and the way we talked about him and the way it always felt like, why don't you throw it to Jeremy Rucker? Why don't you throw it to Jeremy Rucker? They never really did it. You know, he got a, he got a decent amount, but he was never a significant part of the passing game the way Kate Stover was. While with the blocking stuff, I think Rucker might be third when it comes to just pure blocking of the three. And some of that just might be because I'm scared of Cade Stover because he's kind of crazy. Oh, I disagree with that. I, I I think blocking was clearly the weak point for Cade Stover this past year, right? That's the area where he needs to make the most growth. It's He's more physical. I mean, obviously, Cade Stover wants to be a linebacker. Jeremy Ruckert is like half a receiver. They're not the same yeah. kind of football player. But there were just enough times. Sometimes Cade Stover would blow a guy up but then I think sometimes you could even hear coaches talk about it. It's like, maybe I didn't have quite have the right angle on that block, right? Okay, he didn't quite get in the position that he needed to to finish that off. And I do think by the end, Jeremy Rucker evolved into a very good blocker. So yeah. I think this is, and by the way, Luke Farrell is great. <laughs> yeah. Luke, Farrell, yeah, 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 yeah. Luke Farrell was a, I think probably the best blocker of the group who you also could throw the ball to. So I think these three tight ends that are going to be the three tight ends that we pick, I think you could kind of put them in any order. And in the end, I do think maybe the whole package of Ruckert is a good way to go here. But I, I don't know that anyone would, would jump up on a table and say, how dare you? You know, how dare you take Ruckert? It's got to be Stover or Farrell here. And just like if you would have taken Stover, I don't know that anybody would have said, how dare you? You had to take Jeremy Ruckert or Luke Farrell. They have three good tight ends that One turned thing. out to be pretty good here in the day era. So this is going to lead me to – go ahead, Stephen. Um, well, I, I can talk – no, I'll say it now. Just obviously we take PFF grades with a grain of salt all the time, but Jeremy Ruckert, 68.5 run blocking grade in 2021. This past year, Kate Stover, 70.5. So it's – you know. Not that far off that it's, I, I think, you know, drastic. Yeah. So I have my center who I'm going to take last because you guys have your centers. And then we have this. I could take the tight end here. Or I could make the choice at quarterback. And I've been staring at my team and I've been staring at Steven's team. And I'm also thinking about juice. And I'm also thinking about how the texters would view this in a vote. But I'm also just thinking primarily about winning. And I'm really thinking about winning and putting the best team I can put on the field. And I'm going to think a tiny bit about how my team meshes. 
I can't remember. We've had conversations comparing Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud, who we think is yeah. the better college quarterback, who we think is going to be the better NFL quarterback. I can't remember what we said or what I thought. So this pick may go against what I have said and thought in the past. And I can't help but be influenced a little bit by everything that's happened, what we have seen from Justin Fields, what we've seen from C.J. Stroud at his best in the Georgia game. I feel like I'm changing my mind as I make my pick here. But I guess I would rather make it than have Steven make it and just leave me a quarterback. And I think Steven has a vision. Well, no, I don't know what Steven meant. Steven, you had an idea of who you thought my quarterback would be when I assembled my receiver core. I'll let you know after you pick it. I think I have an idea of, of maybe what quarterback, maybe what quarterback would better fit with these three guys I have. But I'm going to take Justin Fields. And I think maybe in your head and maybe in my head, C.J. Stroud as a bing-bang-boom, get the ball out and let Emeka, Garrett, and K.J. do their thing would fit better. But I kind of want Justin's run threat with Zeke to see what that would be like. Yeah. And I just... As good as CJ is and was, just the threat, just the threat. And I I do think Justin throws the ball great. I don't think he's as accurate as CJ. I don't think he's as much of a diagnoser as CJ, but I think he's really good throwing it. And I think he's extraordinary. I think he's shown himself to be extraordinary as a runner, which we kind of knew when he was at Ohio State, but they didn't use it in the same way. So I don't know about this. I don't know that this is right. And I think maybe half the people are listening to this screaming, yes, good pick, take Justin. And the other half are screaming, no, what did you do? You should have taken CJ. But I'm going to take Justin Fields. And Nathan, what do you think of that? I thought about taking him number one overall. I mean, he's the best quarterback in school history, I think. And why would you not take that first overall? I know that we and, – and, and as much as, yes, you're saying it'd be great to pair Justin Fields running with Ezekiel Elliott – we need to make sure we're not talking about Justin Fields as like some kind of a run first quarterback. Like when right. he came out of Ohio state, we were trying to tell everybody any interview I did with like NFL draft yep. stuff like, Hey, just so you guys know, yes, he's athletic. Yes, he can run, but this is a, this is a pocket passer. This guy is now he goes to a pro- team with no offensive line and no receivers and he has to run the ball. We weren't really projecting that far out, even the concerns that we had about the bears, but this is a guy that can throw the ball. I don't think there would be a huge difference between him distributing in an offense and C.J. Stroud distributing in an offense. I do think there are some things that C.J. Stroud does better. The, the downfield, like on a dime precision, that's a thing that maybe C.J. Stroud has a touch that Justin Fields doesn't have. But the other things that you get from Justin Fields more than makes up for that. I would absolutely have taken Fields over Stroud, and that's not a slouch against Stroud. No, I, I think that I'm glad that Troy Smith came off the board late earlier than everybody else now that this draft has played out a little bit. Because I think for me, it made me decide, especially since Ezekiel Elliott went second, I can either go get Justin Fields right now and he'd be the – because there's two – there's two. Doug, you now have two guys in your backfield who make you go so when a defense does something. Because Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, oh, 75 yards through the heart of self, that entire run. But then, like, Justin Fields just spent this entire year in the NFL going so – a thousand rushing yards and it's like Ryan Day didn't let him run 
So if Ryan Day would have let him young run on top of what Nathan's talking about, the the arm, the strong arm talent. I don't think he's as accurate in terms of ball placement as CJ Stroud, but that arm is clearly stronger. That that's a natural arm. You combine all of that stuff, it's two guys, it's like so. So as we were talking about earlier with your wide receiver, I do agree that maybe from a bing bang bum, get it out quick, CJ Stroud with those three types of receivers is great. Because you don't have the Marvin Harris and Michael Thomas type of receiver, you don't have a guy who's Garrett wins a lot. He plays like he's 6'4", even though he's like 5'11". But even there were times during his career here where if you got physical with someone of that size, it, it didn't always work out. We saw it with Penn State. We saw it with Penn State this past year with the Mecca Buka. You need a dude who makes all that, looks at all that and says so. And Justin Fields has that ability to, one, just out-throw a cornerback or just go, you know, nothing's there. I'm just going to take off, i.e. Michigan State game, where everything was weird. And he said, I'm just going to take off. Every single time. So I do think that both fit. And I think that after a while with me, I'm just going to take my quarterback here so we can continue this conversation. I do think that I've got three different types of receivers, very similar to what Ohio State had this past year, that probably fit with C.J. Stroud perfectly. I've got the, first of all, I mean, I've got C.J. Stroud center. I've got his favorite wide receiver. I mean, I wrote tirelessly about that even the point that I got annoyed I've given him a deep threat Ted Ginn but also a guy where it's just give him the ball and let's see what happens like it's Ted Ginn Jr and I think him and Michael Thomas that ball placement mixed with you know the the way Michael Thomas could go up and get a ball regard get that one foot in like we saw in the national in the, um, the national semifinal against Alabama I think it my group fits with CJ Stroud while Justin Fields fits with anybody no, I think that's right okay so so I just worked out. It's it's good for everybody. You're taking Stroud here at the mm-hmm. end of round nine, which leaves us two more rounds to finish off this draft. And we'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right. We are back for the 10th round. Nathan, what two positions do you need? I need a running back and I need a receiver. Okay. I need a tight end and a center. And Steven, what do you need? I need a left guard and I need a tight end. So Nathan, the pick is to you. Where are you going? I mean, you guys can't pick either position, so it doesn't really matter who I take, but I'm going to go Julian Fleming here. Not doesn't leave me with a natural slot receiver, putting him obviously with Chris Olave and Marvin Harrison Jr., but uh, I like that he's a physical guy. Um, I like that, uh, you know, he, he obviously made some strides this past year. If you're comparing him to the other available receivers from the Ryan Day era, it's either taking the, the year of Jamison Williams where he started for a national championship team, but they didn't throw him the ball or guys like Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor and, and guys are maybe a little bit more of a reach. And I think Julian Fleming, you know, coming back another year, if he can stay healthy and get another full year in this offense, uh, he just showed enough this year that I think he's worthy of a pick over those guys. So I don't want to, so listen, I think we can think to ourselves, Oh man, the day era wide receivers, Holy moly. There's so many of, them. but we also need nine. Yeah. In a draft like this. And so I didn't list Jamison Williams because I just thought the Jamison Williams at Ohio State just was kind of not. We mm-hmm. just didn't see enough of it. The eight guys from the day era I lifted, listed were the seven guys who have been drafted and Ben Victor. I only listed eight. So then nine would have been Jamison Williams or Austin Mack. And I just thought to myself, no offense, I just don't want Ben Victor. Like, whatever. <laughs> Like, whatever I have to do, I feel like if you put that up, like, hey, here's my day era draft, 
and my third receiver is Ben Victor, it would be like, oh, what did you do? You kind of, uh, oh, okay. Because like Ben, like Ben Victor had like one good game and was like a lot of potential otherwise. Yeah. And by the way, has like kind of hung around in the NFL mm-hmm. and is like, but was sort of always a guy who maybe never didn't, never quite got to what you thought his physical attributes would tell you. Mm-hmm. So I just felt like Fleming was the seventh guy on the day era list. And like the last guy that you would feel good about having on your team. And the fact that we took Michael Thomas and Ted Ginn Jr. from the other era eras means we only need seven day era receivers. So I think this worked out for you, Nathan, but Steven, like I just, no offense to anybody that was one of my main goals and why I took KJ Hill when I did is like, I don't want to get, I don't want that to, my team to look that way because by the time you got to receivers eight, and nine in the day era, you were getting some question marks. I thought that's why I really liked the pick. And that's why I said he deserves to get picked because what you didn't want is a situation where we're, we're trying to have a conversation about the Ryan Day era with a sprinkle of some Urban and Jim Trestle guys. Yes, we're trying to, you know, you know, strategy and all that stuff. And that's fun, you know, being able to, you know, pull the rug under somebody else's. But we're trying to have a conversation who we think the best players are here. And what you don't want is a situation where we look look up, especially when it, we're talking about groups that are at least a little bit deep. And maybe there's not a, de- a group deeper than wide receiver when you're picking nine guys, where you look at one guy and go, one guy is not like the other. And I feel like at least... Everybody mm-hmm. who got picked at wide receiver is in one of the two tier, top two tiers. You've got the main four. You've got a couple of guys in tier two who are peeking over the window trying to get into tier one, and they might be there. But then you've got some tier two guys where I don't think any of the nine wide receivers that got picked, plus if you add in Curtis Samuel and, and, and Paris Campbell who didn't get picked, everybody who got picked, there's a good reason for why they got picked. And I don't think Texas is going to be upset with these nine. I want to point something out real quick, and I wasn't even fully aware of this. Benjamin Victor's 2019, 35 catches. Julian Fleming, 2022, 34 catches. Ben Victor, 573 yards. Uh, uh, Fleming, 533 yards, and they both had six touchdowns. So, like, almost wow. identical seasons. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but for me, I still think Fleming is the right guy for my mix. And I had to, and, and yeah, I think it makes but sense. But Fleming also did that while also missing and, but some I games do think, this year. Well, a couple games, yeah. And he also did it with 2,000-yard receivers mm-hmm. yep. on his team. And, yes, Chris Olave was around for Ben Victor, and it was first-year Garrett Wilson. But I feel like there was more sort of opportunity there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Julian Fleming was a little blocked by the other guys on his team, and maybe there weren't quite as many guys blocking you back in 2019. So I think I think Fleming, that's a crazy comparison, Nathan. It's like as much as it's like, oh, Ben Victor. It's Almost like, oh, Julian Fleming. And it's like, well, are they the same player? Same stats, but I think we all would agree, not the same player. And the fact that we have a year of Julian Fleming left, where, again, we can think the best of Julian Fleming potentially is yet to come. Okay, so I'm going to take my tight end here, and I will. I do have a choice here, and I will take Cade Stover. And I think I would have taken Cade Stover first among tight ends. And I, I think the points that we made before are correct, but I do just think he's a, a physical force who just had much better hands and was more of a threat in the past game than I ever imagined. And so I don't think Jeremy Ruckert was wrong to go first among tight ends, but I think I would have taken Cade Stover. And I love Luke Farrell, but I'll take Cade Stover here uh, with my second pick in the 10th round. Steven, you're left with Luke Farrell, whatever you pick him. Who would you have taken, Steven, 
between Stover and Farrell and Ruckert if you took the first tight end? I think I would have taken Farrell. Now that I see how my team has played out, to be honest, because it's not, I don't need to throw him the ball. Now, does he need to catch it down the seam every so often to keep teams off? Uh, honest? Sure. And Luke Farrell can do that. He proved that during his career. He can catch it every, if I need him to catch one and a half balls a game for me, he can do that. Sure. But I need him to block. I need him to create holes for J.K. Dobbins. I need him to keep people off of C.J. Stroud's butt. And when you've got these wide receivers, that's the exact – I think for my team, he's perfect. So I have no – I'm actually glad I went – I was the last person to take a tight end off of the board because now I can do that, but also not take him with this pick because my more important pick is my left guard pick because I kept hinting at it all year. Because of the position I was in, I was eventually going to have to take a guy where it's more about belief in what he might be versus what he kind of showed in sprinkles, which might be a little bit of an edge for me because the, the shine of the recruiting ranking hasn't left yet. But we'll see. I'm going to take Tegra Shibola here. I think as a guy who was in the two deep, even though he did not early enroll, I think we've seen a a, 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 a annual history of that going forth in that Ryan Day era where there's an interior a, a offensive lineman who doesn't get here till June but somehow ends up in the two deep. And then we get to this, his first spring, and it's like, oh, this guy's a starter, or oh, this guy's in the two deep. I'm gonna, or this guy is on the, at least on the path. And I think had when we were still living in a world where maybe Matthew Jones now slides over the center, I think Tegra Shabola was a name we needed to watch for. Now some things have changed since Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones are not moving now, but I do think Tegra Shabola is still a name to watch at a position. And since the only place we have seen him play in a real football game right now is guard, he still has that flexibility to play it in a situation like this. So I'll take him at my left guard spot. So this was the most difficult thing in this draft, because in the end, there are only 12 offensive linemen who have been true starters in the Ryan Day era, and we need 15. So did that mean we were going to take three offensive linemen with our Trestle and Meyer bonus picks. So Nathan took one. I am going to take one. The only way this could have been avoided, Stephen, would have been if you had used your Urban Meyer pick on somebody like Billy Price or Pat Elfline instead of on Michael Thomas and then have taken someone like Ben Victor or Austin Mack or Jamison Williams Mm -hmm. as your third receiver. Did you think about that at all? Or is, was the upside of Michael Thomas on your team just too much to pass up? You're like, I got to get Michael Thomas. I did. And I think I'd hinted at it earlier when I took Luke Whippler because I don't want to take Billy Price and take off my urban market. But it, it was just as much about, I think Michael Thomas is a better wide receiver than Billy Price is a center, at least in comparison to the other, especially comparison actually to the other guys I have to take. I can't afford to not have an elite X receiver because the only part portion of Jamison Williams we're taking is the Jamison Williams that was here. So I would have to just tell him, Hey, just run down the field, get out the way. And I can't, I just, I can't take that chance because I've already got Ted Ginn Jr. running down there. So I can't have Jamison Williams getting in his way when I'm trying to toss the ball down there. And then Ben Victor on down the list. I just, I didn't want to take Julian Fleming that early in the draft or have to be, I wanted to still have a, I wanted to have three elite wide receivers, even if it meant at the end of the day that there was a chance I was going to have to take a flyer on the offensive line. But I'm taking the flyer at left guard where we've seen Ohio State have struggles the last couple of years at left guard and they'd be okay. 
It doesn't really matter. So if that's the spot, if that's my struggle spot because I'm playing a young guy trying to figure it out, I'll live with it because that means we get to an end of the season. He might have figured it out. Nathan, how did you think about this spot? We were going to, you're going to get, somebody was going to end up a little pinched, I think either at receiver or on the offensive line. And you had to make a choice here. We all saw sort of the way the offensive line shook out. How did you think about it, Nathan? It's why I got aggressive on the offensive line when I did. I just didn't want to be left in this position. It's a defensible pick under the circumstances, but um, you know, it's it it is the 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 biggest stretch in terms of what we know about the people so far. So um, because it's not like Shibola was a five star, you know what I mean? Like a a in, in a way. <clears throat> It's a different version of what I had to do with Harry Miller, but at least Harry Miller had actually started a full season on a team that won a bunch of games and was in the national championship game, although he wasn't because of the, getting um, the COVID late in the season, um, in the in the postseason. But you know what I'm saying? Like it's so it's I, I, it one two different sides of the coin maybe I, I don't know, but I was glad that I got to take people who were a little bit more certain. Okay, so this leads to the final round and Nathan Baird taking a running back, and I think I know who you're going to take, but I'm curious to hear you sort of talk it out, Nathan, with the options you have here, because I took Ezekiel Elliott and Steven took J.K. Dobbins, and those were obviously the top two guys here with the options we had. You can't take a Trestle or Urban Meyer guy, so it's got to be a day running back. What are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, once I took Troy Smith first overall, then I was, am I taking, uh, and then once Dobbins came off the board, so then now it's like, well, are you going to use and, and Elliot was gone early. So it really came down to, are you going to use your Urban Meyer pick on Carlos Hyde, who had the stronger finish to his career? Or are you going to use that somewhere else, which I did on Decker and take Trevion Henderson, who had a really strong start to his career? I would say, you know, he had a stronger start to his career um, than some of the people I could have, you know, the, the Beanie Wells is the Carlos Hyde, those kind of guys. But for whatever, you know, for a number of reasons, it didn't come together in the second year. So he's the one that's maybe the bigger unknown going into this third year. But there's reasonable optimism for for the promise that of what he could do as a third year player. He's never going to be because of the existence of Mayan Williams and potentially because of his own injury issues, never going to put up the volume numbers that some of these other guys did. But it could, in especially as you look back on this in, in future years, could look like a more defensible pick just from what he does when he does play. Is there any real conversation, Stephen, for somebody other than Travion Henderson here? Like, is there a Mayan Williams? Is there a Trey Sermon? Is there any other, like you could take, you know, a couple games of 300-yard karate kicks, but is, is Travion the guy you got to go with? Uh, from a raw talent standpoint, you got to go with Travion. I think there's a small Mayan conversation just because, the mind we saw this past year when healthy is not the same mind we had been having conversations about the first two years of his career. Um, so I think there's a, just because of where Trayvon is in his development, maybe there's a conversation, but I think Trey's the answer here. And I, I was a little interested in the fact that he lasted this long until I started thinking about it. He can never be Ezekiel and J.K. Dobbins. I think his talent level can be there. I don't think he can have the level of production in any singular moment like J.K. Dobbins had a 2,000-yard season, but also he was clearly that offense's best weapon when you have a first-year starting quarterback where you're still trying to figure it out early on in the season and you're still playing six wide receivers. And I know Garrett and Chris were in that room, but Garrett's a true freshman and Chris is in year two. They weren't even actual starters in 2019. It was K.J. Hill, Austin Mack, and Ben Victor. Uh, and, then in, and then the Ezekiel Elliott year, 
he's clearly their best offensive weapon, especially once you use Braxton Miller, especially once you lose JT Barrett, especially since you're not passing to Michael Thomas. I think the amount of weapons in Trey Brown Henderson's way mixed with how this offense has worked, I think he's a, he should be picked. But I don't know. It's a It would be a weird Mount Rushmore discussion, even if he is the best possible version of what the idea of Travion Henderson year three might be, because it's never going to match those two. Okay, so that wraps up Team Baird. I am in the process of possibly changing my pick. So I'm taking a center from the Trestle era. And I covered Nick Mangold the first year I was here. And I remember this debate that I couldn't remember the guy's name, so I had to double check it, but it was the center from Minnesota. And it turns out his name was Greg Eslinger, who was the first team All-American pick by everybody. He like made every first team All-American team and Nick Mangold made one. And I like I thought Nick Mangold was better. Like, what did I know? But I thought Nick Mangold was the better player. And then in the NFL draft, Nick Mangold was a first round pick. Eslinger was a sixth round pick. Nick Mangold had like a 10 year all pro career with the Jets. And Greg Eslinger was like an NFL Europe in a year. And so I think they were wrong. I think Nick Mangold was the better player and was the best center in college football in 2005. The NFL draft proved that. And he, it's not like he was an underachieving guy who got picked on physical gifts. He was an awesome center. So I was going to take Nick, Man- Nick Mangold. But Charles Bentley in 2001 won the Remington Award. And Charles Bentley was an extraordinary college player. He played one year with Trestle, played most of his career with Cooper. But in 2001 with Trestle, he was probably like the best player on that team. And then he had terrible luck in the NFL, um, but has gone on to be an offensive line guru who has coached up a lot of guys. And and he's an extraordinary college player. So, Nathan, when you were looking at this, you were talking about like multiple options here. I thought all along I'm going Mangold, 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 because I saw it firsthand. But I don't want to underestimate LaCharles Bentley here. Who should Who do you think I should take, Bentley or Mangold? Uh, well, also, wasn't Mike Brewster from this era? And he was also an All-American. Mike mm. Mike Brewster uh, was a five-star player, was a five-star recruit, was, you know, the Brew Crew was key to the recruitment of the 2008 recruiting class. Uh, I think was a, a step below. He's gone on into a coaching career. Great guy. Has I think has a step below Mangold and Bentley in this conversation. And I don't even know that center was his best position, but yes. To, but in the end, I think to me, this this discussion is really down to Bentley and Mangold. Yeah. But point taken, and by the way, in a world where, you, you know, Billy Price, Pat Elfline, Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. all Corey Lindsley, yeah. all played center in the Urban Meyer era, I think I would argue that Price, Elfline, and Jordan were all better guards than they were centers. They all, they did this thing for a while there where you played guard. And then as a senior, you moved to center. Mm-hmm. Corey Lindsley is like a gazillionaire in the NFL because of what he's playing, what he's doing as a center. So many urban options here at center, but I already used my urban picks, so right? I've got to take a trestle guy. So Steven, do you have a strong take on who I should take here between Charles Bentley and Nick Mangold? Um, just because the inner child in me, who was like 10, 11 years old when Nick Mangold was playing here, I would lean his way. But I don't think you can go wrong with either one. Even the, the Remington Award, yeah, only one dude can win it. I think Mangold played at a Remington level when he was a starting center here as well. He just didn't finish it out with the actual yeah. award because he didn't have any control over that. We do as voters. So, I, But I would go Mangold. Yeah, and also... Yeah, Nick Mangold was a 29th pick in the 2006 NFL draft. Yep. It was a 
two-time first-team All-Pro, seven-time Pro Bowler in the NFL. And again, was a first-team All-American on that one team, um, first-team All-Big Ten. And I also covered his sister in the Olympics because his sister was a thrower, Holly Mangold. So a little bit of familiarity. I think LaCharles Bentley is an extraordinary football player. Again, had like this terrible staff infection luck with the Browns and the NFL. It was a mess. He should have had a much longer, more successful NFL career. It's not his fault. Uh, but I'll take Nick Mangle a little bit just because I saw it firsthand. I did not cover LaCharles. This is not any indication of LaCharles Bentley's skill. He's a Cleveland guy. But I will take Nick Mangold here. And I think he he backed up how good he was at Ohio State with how good he was in the NFL for how long he was. So I will take Nick Mangold as my center and my trestle pick, which Steven leaves us to you to wrap up this draft. Yeah, Luke Farrell, come on down. I think Luke Farrell's known for a while that this call was coming his way. It was just a matter of me actually making it, which just means that if this were the real draft, I basically told him, listen, I want you. I just want you for less money. So we're going to draft you later on in the process. But yeah, I think he fits in perfectly with what I've got. He's, he's more of a blocker, more of the inline tight end, but that's what I need in this situation when I've got these three awesome receivers, a great running back to hand it off to a decent offensive line and a quarterback who can make all the throws. All right, so those are our 33 picks, three 11-man teams. Nathan Baird, why don't you run through your team, not by order of draft, but how you would line these guys up on the field, starting with your quarterback? Yeah, you know, Heisman Trophy winner Troy Smith at quarterback, running back Trevion Henderson. Receivers are Marvin Harrison Jr., Chris Olave, and Julian Fleming. The tight end is Jeremy Ruckert. My tackles are Taylor Decker and Nicholas Petit-Frere. My guards are Donovan Jackson and Harry Miller. And my center is Josh Myers. Team Le Maurice, Justin Fields at quarterback, Ezekiel Elliott. At running back, my receivers, Garrett Wilson, Emeka Abuka, and KJ Hill. Cade Stover at tight end. My tackles, Paris Johnson and Brandon Bowen. My guards, Wyatt Davis and Jonah Jackson and Nick Mangold at center. Steven Means, your team. So at quarterback for Team Steven, C.J. Stroud. My running back is J.K. Dobbins. My wide receivers are Michael Thomas at X, Tedkins Jr. at Z, Jackson Smith at Jigbe in the slot. My tight end is Luke Farrell. My left tackle is Thayer Munford, right tackle Dewan Jones. I'll put right tackle Matthew Jones. And the Jones brothers are back together, man. The left guard is Tegra Shibola, and then my center hey, is, nice. is Luke Whipler. That receiver core is going to catch people's eyes from oh, Steven's yeah. team. So I, I think this is pretty even. I think this is pretty even. I don't think there were any like glaring mistakes, Nathan. Like if you had to go back, Nathan, and do it all over again, I mean, you go with the Heisman winner at quarterback and then your next two picks are the first two receivers off the board. That's a pretty good way to go. Would you do anything different, Nathan? Or do you like how your team went? Well, again, I thought that the the Smith def- pick was so defensible because of how highly I had him ranked as a trestle guy relative to anybody in any other position. But there is a part of me that like seeing how long you guys both took to pick a quarterback, I could have probably gotten better value out of. I probably still could have maybe taken him later. I don't know if either of you guys were thinking of of him in the same way that, that he was almost, uh, that there was that much value in taking him. So if I had taken Ezekiel Elliott first overall, or I had taken, uh, done something else, then, then maybe I, that would have been a better strategy. But I just thought that there was, there was so much, specific trestle value in taking Troy Smith. No, and I think I think one of the reasons I think somebody was going to jump for a quarterback early. 
Mm-hmm. So I think once the once like the outside quarterback was off the board, then Steven and I could wait on the field Stroud discussion. But for instance, if someone would have taken Justin Fields or CJ Stroud really high, I think it would have caused everybody to take quarterbacks higher because all of a sudden pieces are moving around. So in the end, yeah. I think that was I think that was an effective draft. I think we built three good balanced teams. And I think we did learn something, Stephen, about the Ryan Day era, which is it turns out they've had some pretty darn good high-level offensive linemen. The receivers speak for themselves, but I don't know. It still feels like you're maybe waiting for a couple extra sprinkles of magic here, and maybe maybe when they get that, this might be when Ryan Day wins a national championship. I think you're worried about the offensive line because I think – now, some of this is offensive linemen start for a while here at Ohio State, but I do think that if we come back and do this five years from now, I am very worried that these will be the same 15, and I don't know if that's a good thing, if these mm-hmm. are the same 15 guys picked, because that means things never got better, whether it's Justin Fry or he moves on and they hire somebody else, like or Mike Salini moves up as that next guy who's the hire from within or anybody else. I, I think I think this is a decent group of offensive line, but I'm not starstruck like I feel like I am at the other positions quite the same way. Mine is tight end because that's just not how they use them here. But also, I'm thinking, I think about some of the guys who may be true freshmen yeah. right now or coming off their true freshman seasons where it's, hmm, I wonder if they're going to be part of this conversation. You know, guys like Jelani Thurman. We're talking about a three-man thing for tight end right now. Does Jelani Thurman maybe throw his name into this type of situation? How does a Kyle McCord season that's maybe a one-and-done a one, a one or maybe a two-and-done or Devin Brown or on down the list here? Who can maybe throw a wrench in this in a good way? That Because right now, I feel like other positions, you have some names that might enter this conversation in five years, but I need to see it on the offensive line. But also – Whenever we do the defensive side All of right, this, it's going to get really rough. Yeah, there's going to be some standouts at the top, but we're going to be making some hard decisions that I think we're going to be gritting our teeth through a little bit with some of the some of the positions uh, in the Ryan Day era. And again, you're just going to be, my God, it's like the, the race for a couple specific guys from the Trestle era and the Urban era, I think will even be more intense potentially and like really difficult decisions about who you're going to grab because you're going to feel like your defense needs more help than maybe you felt like the day era offense did. Okay. We'll do that defense draft next week. For now, if you will, we'll put this out uh, vote to the texters who built the best team. If you want to be part of that and get the vote in that it's a two week free trial, six, one, four, send a text to this number, six, one, four, three, five, Oh, three, three, one, five. You can vote and then type stop and then you'll be out and never had to pay anything. We'll, I think, do a rapid fire next week. We need to get back to one of those. Uh, Nathan, you have a Kyle McCord story that you continue to work on. And our plan is when you drop that Kyle McCord story, we will drop a Kyle McCord podcast related to your reporting on that story. You're thinking maybe next week for that Kyle McCord? Correct. Yep. Okay. So we'll have that on the list and uh, a couple other things we have percolating here on Buckeye Talk. For now... For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.